So this morning's message is actually coming from the congregation rather than from me. I'm sort of like priming the pump this morning, but actually the main thing is what we get uh, to share. So we've been looking at a few different things. This morning we're going to look at sharing the spoils. So we've looked at Stop for the One, we've looked at Speak Life, looking at sharing the spoils. Tuesday evening, this Tuesday evening, half past seven, uh, we're going to take a bit of time on workshopping the sharing the spoils. So uh, that's kind of where we've been. But after I've shared this morning, we'll go back to the worship team. And uh, But it'll sort of like help if you've got something you believe God is kind of stirring in your heart that you make your way to the front so that we can, you know, manage the queue of 80 people all demanding to say something this morning. Uh, about what God has done for you. And then deliberately to see what does this open up for the rest of us. Um, this morning we then talk about sharing the spoils. In other words, learning to give away the victories and blessings that God has given to us. And uh, so we look at a story from David's life. And it actually comes from a, an absolute place of devastation in 1 Samuel Chapter 30, David has been driven out of his home. He's been driven away from his people. He's living, as it were, as a criminal on the run. King Saul wants to take him down. Eventually, he finds himself having to play the part of a madman in, in one of the enemies of Israel's uh, sort of like courts, as it were. He gets driven out there. He's about to go to battle with some of Saul's opponents, and they say, this man can't be trusted, and so he gets, you know, he kind of pretty much just gets sent away. So, probably circumstantially, this is, and I mean, we know later there were some tough, tough things, difficult things, stupid things that David, David did and found himself in, sinful things. But at the, in this point, his human situation is like a train wreck, driven out of his home, forced to live among his, in, um, his enemies, and he's living among the Philistines in a town called Ziklag, rejected by his king, his nation, and, and eventually even his enemies send him away. And we read this then, that David and his men reached Ziklag, which is this town they were, or settlement they'd been given. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev, which is a nearby desert, and Ziklag. And they had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the woman and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them. They carried them off and they went on their way. And when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire. Their wives and sons taken captive, uh, daughters, sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoim of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. And David was greatly distressed because the men, now these were guys who were outcasts and David, they'd gathered around David. They'd had almost nothing to live for until they'd met David. 
and now they had sort of like found their lives coming on stream. But because things had got so bad, these very guys who'd been driven away from everybody else are now talking about stoning him. Each one, notice these words, was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. Stuff can happen to us that can make us bitter. And now to top it all, as it were, these guys have turned against him. And so this has to be like a low point of low points. He has been rejected. Now he's been robbed. The town has been devastated and burnt by fire. And David himself is despised. He's despised by his king. He's despised by his enemies. And now he's even despised by his own. The failure seems complete. Watch the screen. He does not know that within days he'll be king. Within days. Not weeks, not months. Within days. There's a turning point. Turning point turns on a one-liner that I often remind myself of. But David, verse 6b, found strength in the Lord his God. His God. The Lord who is his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, we can go to the Psalms. We could choose many Psalms and find, as it were, um, you know, reasons to celebrate for, for or how this would have played out. But Psalm 28 is a good example. We, we go to Psalm 28. It's not on the screen, but he says, I call to you, Yahweh. I call to you, Lord. To you I call. You are my rock. Don't turn a deaf ear to me. Do not remain silent. Everyone else has turned away. Everyone else is not speaking to me. I, if you remain silent, I'll be like someone who goes down to the pit or to the grave. Hear my cry for mercy. I call to you for help. I lift up my hands towards your holy place. So there's David standing in the wilderness. Like literally, his men want to kill him, and he stands and he turns towards the tabernacle of the Lord and he begins to pray. And then a little bit later, and he talks to God about his enemies and his problems and the lies and the intrigue and the betrayal and the deceit and everything that's going on that's taken him to the low point. And then he says this before almost anything else, praise be to the Lord. He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength. Remember, David found strength in the Lord his God. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, <laughs> and with my song I praise him. From the place where everything seems so difficult. And then he says this, he transfers it to others in his psalm. Now, we don't know if he wrote this in that exact moment, but this is the kind of man he was. It's like, Lord is my strength. And then he says, and the Lord is the strength of his people. If it's true for me, it's true for you. He's a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. So save your people. 
bless your inheritance. Like he's aware there's so much more out there. There's something that's been passed generation to generation. There's something that's cascading, and it's a gift from God. God has given an inheritance. Bless your inheritance, and he speaks the blessing. Be their shepherd, carry them forever. David found strength in the Lord his God. The translation could also be, and there's a more literal one that says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He internally found himself. But notice that David had to do the work. It wasn't that he was passive and that God somehow came. David did the work of reaching out, did the work of turning to God. And then found God doing the work of restoring him, strengthening him, positioning him. So notice this. Although his prayer is problem triggered, it's God focused. His prayer is not problem focused. It's problem triggered, sure. I mean, that's what you got to do. You know, are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? You know, that's the time to take it to the Lord in prayer. Problems can trigger your prayers, but problems must never center your prayers. David's prayer, his his problem takes him to God. It doesn't become God. It doesn't become his focus. It doesn't become what he's all focused on in that moment. And so he brings his full attention to God in the face of overwhelming loss, in the face of rejection and disappointment, and he comes out stronger. And now David's ready to speak to the problem, and so he calls for Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, and he says, bring me the ephod, which was this, as it were, uh, it was a gift from, that God had given for them to discern the heart and mind of God. And so he brought it, And David inquired, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the answer was, pursue them. You'll overtake them. You'll succeed in the rescue. David has found strength in the Lord his God. And so he's ready to do the next thing, which is take back what the enemy stole. Take back what the enemy stole. Like it's not just enough to say, oh good, I'm feeling better now. Now it's time to recognize what has been taken from us that is actually ours, that is our inheritance, that belongs to us. And in this case, it was literally his family. Notice David didn't have a small group. He says, uh, uh, my, my notes are slightly out of sequence, but in any case, verse 9, David and the 600 men who were with him came to the Bessor Valley, where some stayed behind. Important, 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, keep up the chase. And so 400 of them carried on with the chase. 200 of them stayed behind with the supplies. And then as they're going, the story has this little detour where they come across this uh, sick, abandoned slave. And he was a slave on a Malachite master. They'd been busy raiding. And because he gets sick and the Malachite master thinks, I've got plenty more slaves who've just taken who knows how many people, the wives and children of 600 men. Um, you know, I, 
And so he just leaves the slave, and David gives this man food and raisin cakes and a whole lot of stuff. And, uh, and this man then takes them to the camp. So the he is an Egyptian slave that David is about to set free. Takes them down, and there the Amalekites were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, partying, reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and of Judah. And David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. It's a 24-hour battle. None of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. You must know it was a big party. Notice, 400 of them fought enough of them so that they beat the lot of them, and only 400 got away. So it, it was an extraordinary battle. You know, to say we beat them all except 400, when you were only 400. <laughs> Notice the face that it took to go into that battle. Like he is determined to take back what the enemy stole. And so David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else. David brought everything back, and he took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead uh, with the livestock, and they were shouting, this is David's plunder. Not this is our stuff. This, they recognized that somehow through what David's encounter with God had given David everything. That was there. So notice now David doesn't just have the stuff that was taken from him. He's now got the Philist, all the stuff that they had taken from the Philistines. He's suddenly like this incredibly rich man. What a turnaround. Guys, as we find strength in God in the moments that seem to be completely defeating, disappointing, moments of rejection or struggle or confusion or doubt or whatever it is. There's something pregnant in that moment for everyone around you, but God wants it to be known that he's done something for you. And so we do. We need to take back what the enemy stole. It's time to go after the enemy and defeat him in Jesus' name and take back what is ours. Now, we know that in the New Testament we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we do have a spiritual enemy. Is there all the way through the Old Testament. We don't have to go into physical battles. How we fight the battle will be our battle. All that's a given. But we still need to say, when the enemy has taken something from me or my family or whatever, I'm going after him and I'm going to take back what the enemy stole. I will not lose my birthright. I will not forfeit my inheritance. I will keep what God has purposed to give me. There's a time to fight for the stuff that God wants you to have. Take back your peace. Take back your joy. Take back your faith. Take back your family. Take back your freedom. Take back your future and your calling. Take back your gift and your ministry that the enemy has tried to cause you to question and to doubt and walk away from. Take back your identity as loved by God, take back your acceptance in God. You know, in the sight of God, and we heard this in Colossians 1, that you're without fault, you're blameless, and you're free from accusation. Take back your identity. You see, God has given us, God has equipped us 
to go and take this back. And by the way, this should make you very keen to finish the rest of the Equip series because some of the stuff we'll do later in, uh, in the second term is literally about how to go back after these moments and reclaim the things the enemy takes. So now we come to kind of wrapping it up, sharing the spoils. You see, because of what had happened, 400 had gone into the battle. They had fought this huge army for 24 hours, and now they're heading back. They've got all this plunder, and there's 200 guys that didn't go to war. Now, the, the practice of those days, if you don't fight, you get nothing. Like, that was the universal thing. It was the, way, the men who march into battle who share the spoils. That's why they, that's why they would recruit whole armies. It's because there was none of the Geneva you know, rules of war or whatever. When you won, you took what you won. And David says, no. No. I have a victory that God gave. So he says, no, my brothers. You must not do that with what the Lord has given to us. When God gives you something, there's something different you do with what God gives you. And so David multiplies his victory, as it were, by sharing the spoils and making sure that other people benefit. Firstly, there were the 400 men who fought with him. But then there's the 200 men who stayed with the supplies. And then as you read later in the chapter, he begins to share with his friends and his networks and the people who uh, protected him and looked after him in the times that he was literally driven out of Israel. And eventually he sends it to neighbors and into anyone else, and listen to this, who might have suffered as a result of the Amalekites' raid. All these resources he's now just giving away, giving away. What are we to do with what God gives us in these victories? We are to share the spoils. The early church was very radical. They used their resources through radical generosity. What has God given us? And we share. And it says there were no needy persons among them. Literally, our resources are part of, you know, overcoming lack. Overcoming what so often makes people's lives so difficult, and when you've been given a victory in that area, one of the first things you do is you just share it. So you do, you share stuff. But one of the other ways we share the spoils is we tell the story. We tell the story. And I want to just focus on that for a moment. You see, our stories have tremendous power because they make truth personal. You know, there's a lot of fake news out there at the moment. There's a lot of claims to truth and a whole lot of stuff. And, you know, Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? But, you know, when you tell your story, it's very hard for someone to just go, ah, whatever. Because actually you're the living embodiment of the thing you've just shared. Hard to argue with David that faith is a wonderful thing <laughs> when he comes marching back into that space with all the spoils of war. And our stories have power because they don't come across as controlling. 
You know, even preaching, I'm very aware not to have this heavy power dynamic in the preaching because so many people are just so suspicious of authority. And so telling your story is a vulnerable way of opening up the truth without coming across as heavy and controlling. And then they're relatable. People can go, well, if you, etc., and they, they start making the connections and they become transferable. And they're vulnerable and they're real. You know, Annie and Jackie just introducing, and they could have said, yeah, it's a lovely week, isn't God good? But actually, I've got a friend who's dying of cancer, and it does, it's painful, and it's difficult, and it's vulnerable, and it's real. But it also shows, the story shows what faith looks like and what faith does. So, for example, I'm writing an academic thesis at the moment, and it's a very academic exercise. But in planning the whole thing, I've chosen to do a narrative work. In other words, the academic work is telling a story, precisely for these reasons. It's no less academic, it demands no less amount of work and research and reporting and timelines and history and all the rest of it. And I'm actually bragging about PBC and something of our journey towards diversity and reconciliation. Why? Because I'm grateful for what God is doing here and I want to share the spoils. I want to give it away. I want to pass this on. It matters. I want to see it happen in our city again and again. I want to see it touch church after church. I want our country to think differently about what reconciliation, restitution, diversity can really, really look like. So there's a sense that I'm bragging about you guys. Why? Because I'm bragging about God. And then there's this idea that, you know, if someone's sharing the spoils, you've got to receive the spoils. Now, when David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to elders of Judah, who were his friends. And he says, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. Here's something for you. They needed to receive it as, here's a gift for me. That's something for me. David won the victory. David fought the battle with his men. These guys were nowhere near there on the day. They weren't at Ziklag. They didn't go through the same story he had. They didn't march down. They didn't find an Egyptian. They didn't leave 200 men behind. It wasn't just the 200 men. Notice these are apparently disconnected people, and here's a gift for you. You can receive out of somebody's story the provision, the promise, the power of God. You know, God's power again and again is present in the testimonies we hear. Faith is contagious. Now, I know Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the word of God is not just a scripture verse. The word of God is the word that declares God to be God in a given situation. Now, of course, we honor Scripture. Of course, we turn to Scripture to build faith. But faith is imparted through the words of God and the words about God. And when you hear faith and you're in the presence of faith, something happens. I found myself praying on Thursday morning with the, with the 
at the prayer meeting. God, and we were looking at, you know, just what Habakkuk prays. Lord, we've heard of your fame and all the things you've done. Come do it again. And he's in essence saying, God, if you could do it then, you can do it now. And if you could do it there, then you can do it here. And if you can do it for them, you can do it for us. And if you could do it for her, you can do it for me. And when you hear a testimony, if you will receive it, and then we can say, can I get a witness? Hey, witness, my brother. <laughs> met you just before the service. Uh, can I get a witness? But the point of it is, is, have we opened up? When we hear that story, will we receive it? This is for you. This is for me. You see, in the moment that someone shares about a breakthrough, in the moment that someone shares about finding forgiveness or reconciling a relationship, you've got to say, God, can I get this too? I promise you that the victories of God are meant to be shared. And so it's not just about sharing the spoils. That's the challenge of this morning. Part of what we do is we receive the spoils. This is for me. This is for me. You know, as a church and, and as churches, we are often quick to respond when someone is in need. Oh, that we'd be even quicker to respond when we hear of a victory God has given. And take hold of that victory and say this is for me. Let's have the worship team up. So now your, your bodies have been conditioned by years of Sundays to think we're nearly finished. Gosh, and we're finishing early. No, we're not nearly finished. So you just got to kind of shake that off. So we're going to sing a song. And in one sense, that's the priming of the pump. Um, and we've got lots of time. Deliberately change the service so that actually the main message today is, is the sharing of the spoils that comes from the rest of us and the receiving of that, taking it to heart. You know, some of us may share these things literally almost from the low point itself. You know, that's still a testimony in process, and that's vulnerable and that's real. And you may literally be saying, my testimony is I'm crying to God right now. That's my testimony. I'm waiting for his answer and I'm crying to God. But I think many of us have testimonies. And it's good to think about them and share them. The Lord is my strength. The Lord has heard my cry. The Lord has done this for us. The Lord is the strength of his people. And so as we come, we want to lean into the power of our stories. And literally expect God to drop into us that which we need for whatever other space we're going into. You know what? You're not going to have every victory sewn up buttoned down. But if we had to look at the grace God has given us as a community, there are people in this room whose story holds part of your key. We're a body. We're a family. 
And what God has done for them can become something that unlocks for you. So, Father, I just bless this time. I pray for just a fresh release of faith. May you be honored in the testimony of your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us share and receive the spoils. In Jesus' name.